You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's the final Spain and Fitz before the NBA finals begin, and it's a power hour of intensity as we're going to get you caught up on everything you need to know for tonight, what to look for, and if you take any of my vests, not how to not bet it. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN <laughs> Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Remember, you're going to get to hear every game of the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio. Pre-game for Game 1 starts tonight, right when we're done, 8 p.m. Eastern. So Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we are together. And Sarah, I'm going to start with some Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I am wildly excited that we get to hang out and talk about this game because this series looks like it could be incredible. And the more I read and the more I listen to and the more analysts I hear break it down, the more I feel like we are going to see two powerful offenses take on the two best defenses in the league and something's got to give. And I have no idea what to expect of what will give in game one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to come down to the team that executes on its plans and shows up and does the things that they've done when they've had success. Because what we have seen from both of these teams, I would say the Celtics more than the Warriors, but the Warriors are guilty too, is those games where they just don't show up. Or those wild swings where they make the kind of errors that you just can't make against teams that are as deficient, as defensively efficient as these are. Um, and so I think if we could break this down into a couple keys for each team that are super important, that's sort of how I'm focusing my energies. And for the Warriors, uh, one of the most important is forcing turnovers while avoiding turnovers. Their creativity is so thrilling to watch. Their movement on offense is so debilitating to opposing defenses. But that creativity also causes some real dumb plays. And so they need to... (laughs) They, they're very good at forcing turnover, seventh in turnover rate in the league. So they need to be able to turn over the Celtics while taking care of the ball themselves because if they can get those transition threes off the Celtics' turnovers and they themselves can make good on their possessions and not turn the ball over, allowing the Celtics uh, those easy transition buckets, I think that's going to be key for them. That's one of the keys for me. Yeah, it, it is amazing how, depending on which analyst I'm listening to and which show I'm listening to, I hear the turnovers spoken about, and I really have to stop and say, okay, are they talking about the Warriors or the Celtics here? Because both teams can be just boneheaded with the basketball, but they're still in the finals. Like It is it is worked out. So let, let's take a look at some of the keys uh, when you start looking across the landscape for each of the teams. And let's start with the Warriors. And J.J. Redick, our ESPN NBA analyst, was on SportsCenter at noon talking about what he thinks specifically the keys are for the Warriors offensively. When the Warriors are in the half court, there's really two things that stand out. Can they create layups out of their movement sets? Can they create layups with all of the switching? Can they get to slips? Can they get to back cuts? Can they make things easy rather than having to shoot over this big Celtics team? And then the second thing is the turnovers. When the Warriors lose, they turn the ball over at a much, much higher rate than in their wins. And against this Celtics defense with the size and physicality, taking care of the basketball is going to be big. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And, you know, I we, what we've seen throughout this postseason um, is that the Celtics have been able to use their physicality against teams. And so as we flip over to the keys for them that JJ just mentioned, that's going to be huge. Playing physical, playing a style that makes it difficult for the Warriors to get into their groove and get flowing. We know that this is a team that works so much off of energy and Uh, rhythm and when you get them out of it that's when the turnovers happen and that's when that really good flowing offense starts to get gunked up so that's going to have to be a focus and actually Kendrick Perkins was on uh, KJ and Max last week and talked about how the physical nature of the Celtics will be the key for them in the series 
Are we going to get the Jason Tatum that put on 10 pounds of muscle this offseason, the 6'10 version that's driving to the basket, snatching the screws out the rim and getting to the free throw line? Are we going to get the Jason Tatum that's going to make it a shootout where he started to do those sidestep three-point shots and step backs and getting into his bag where he's settling for jumpers. And I think that'd be the difference of the Boston Celtics when it's all based on whether Jason Tatum is in attack mode. That'll be the worst thing that the Celtics could do is try to get into a shootout with the Warriors and make it a non-physical team. That's such an interesting perspective, though, Sarah, when you think about it, because Basically, you're asking somebody, and Tatum has found himself so many times throughout the course of this playoff being asked to take the entire weight of the Celtics mm-hmm, offensively mm-hmm. and really take, at times, a shootout approach of, hey, we've got to match him basket for basket. There's a different mindset between we've got to match him basket for basket or i got to wear him down. And when you're trying to wear down guys as shifty as Clay and Steph can be, I really made sure I said that he clearly. Said shifty, uh, shifty. Uh, when you're t- taking on guys as difficult to stick with as they are, the concept of being physical with them is easier said than done when it comes to those guys, particularly on the edge. I agree, but I also think if you look at some of the games with the Heat, there was a blueprint for, especially early on that that game when when the Celtics went off before the Heat came back in that third quarter and put it away, was just consistently driving to the basket. Tatum can shoot over defenses, so if he gets a good first step and moves toward the basket, he's going to get fouled or he's going to be able to shoot over you in a lot of those instances. And when he got tired in that series, he tended to sit back and attack from the outside, and that is not going to work against a Golden State team that wants to play that style. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're getting you ready for game one of the NBA Finals. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. What's interesting, too, about this, and you mentioned it, the top two defenses facing off against each other, Fitz, is every series up to this point, we have been able to simply rave about the Celtics defense, top to bottom, one through five, whoever's on the court, and how difficult it is to set up in the half court against them. Well, guess what? They are coming up against the offensive version of their defense. How the hell do you stop the Warriors constantly in motion? Steph becomes dangerous the second that he steps onto the court, not even in bounds yet. He could hit the threes from there. So I was listening to the low post, which is always such a fantastic primer for all of this, or primer, which is the technical way of pronouncing that. Really? And, uh, it is. Isn't that wild? That's actually That's how you say crazy. it. That's uh, crazy. Zach Lowe talked about, and here's a couple pieces of what he had to say about just how tough it is to guard the Warriors. Close your eyes and think of it. When the off-ball action is, let's say, Wiggins screening for Steph off the ball, or any anyone screening for Steph and Clay, the shooters are running off the screens. If you want to switch Steph's guy onto the screener, here's what happens. Since it's Steph Curry, you have to be chasing him over the screen. So you're going over that guy that you're switching onto, which means when you switch onto him, you're on his back. And all of the Warriors screeners, whether it's Otto Porter or Andrew Wiggins or Jordan Poole, whoever, are really good at saying, okay, you switch, you're on my back. Boom, zip to the rim, backdoor cut. So you can't just say switch that. You've got to switch it. You've got to somehow try to stay in front of them, but you know you're not going to really be able to do that. So the next layer of defense has to be ready for the backdoor cut. And then the layer behind that has to be ready for that layer to help on the backdoor cut. And it's just this chain of reaction that happens in two seconds. You can see the paralysis by analysis infecting defensive players. It's like, okay, exactly. so I've been told I'm supposed to help I'm supposed to help off 
Looney and Draymond. Oh, but oh my God, one of the Splash Brothers is about to come off a screen. Now I gotta be now, but but I've been told I've gotta be up for that. So I gotta run. Oh no, there's a backdoor cut over here. I've been told I have to protect the rim. Oh God, they scored again. <laughs> just hearing you, him talk about it is stressful, and he's just doing a podcast. When you think about what we're asking for anybody in this series to be able to keep up with those guys, and, and also the Low Post podcast, I, I heard talking a little bit about the, the temptation that comes in motion defense versus just sticking on somebody, and this is all going to be, the I think, the most interesting part of it. It's not just game one. It's going to be the chess match from game one to two as teams figure out what works and what doesn't work. That, Sarah, I think is the part of this that throughout the course of this series is going to be every single night is what, what tweaks are coaches making mm-hmm. based on reaction but not overreaction. And that temptation has got to be there for everybody. Well, and Fitz, that's where experience comes into play. And you have – a bunch of, of vets on the Celtics that have gone to the conference finals a lot that have never been in the finals, and you have a rookie coach, and you're going up against a guy in Steve Kerr who is taking a core with some different ancillary players around it to the finals for the sixth time in eight years. Right? They have been here before. He knows his team up and down, and he knows how they behave in various situations. Uh, and what we know about the Warriors is when they win the first game of a series, they are nearly impossible to beat. So... I'm I'm super excited to see how aggressively the Celtics come out because I want to find out about their guts fits and their guts against the Heat seem to show up some nights and not others. If the Warriors go off and Steph is in his bag and he's giving his shoulder shimmies and looking like you know he's he's you know super confident from everywhere, I wonder how the Celtics look when that happens and can they get behind and come back and can they play all 48 that's another key for me because this Warriors team is never out of it they can shoot their way back in after almost any deficit pregame for game one starts right after we're done at 8 p.m eastern you can listen to every game of the NBA finals on ESPN radio that was some straight talk straight talk wireless no contract no compromise we'll keep getting you set we got some great experts going to join us this hour to help you get everything you need to know for the matchups coming but A legend is retiring, and the word billion came up a lot today in the world of sports. We'll explain it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Ooh, I can feel the excitement building. We are so close to game one of the NBA Finals, and this little Spain and Fitz episode is like a power hour preview to the preview to the pregame of ESPN's coverage of the NBA Finals. <laughs> Try to figure that out. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You can listen to every game of the NBA Finals right here on ESPN Radio. Pre-game for Game 1 starts right when we're done, so that's 8 Eastern tonight. We are going to get into some more breakdown of that with a couple great guests coming up, but we quickly have to hit some other things going on in the sports world and we're going to do it the way we do things around here, and we got to get a lot in fast. It's Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. A really cool move from longtime veteran quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, who announced his retirement today. Uh, you remember Fitzpatrick from being on every single team in the NFL, <laughs> from going to Harvard, from having an immaculate beard, and from that one time he borrowed Deshaun Jackson's outfit for a post-game presser after a particularly heroic effort on the field. How many carrots do you think are around here? It's really heavy. It's really heavy. You got your friends you. there. Hey, DJ. I got like two more because DJ needs his stuff back. <laughs> 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 
Sorry. <laughs> Wait a minute, you mean I this borrowed, is I yours? borrowed your stuff. Sorry. Yeah, I borrowed your stuff. Sorry, Deshaun. What, what, what is yours? Is any of that yours or is the that The chest there is mine. <laughs> uh, King of the Presser. Uh, and the way he retired fits, super cool. This was uh, shared by one of his former teammates. Uh, the text ended up being shared socially and went viral. He made a word cloud of everyone he's ever played with. At least that's what it looks like. And the, the list goes on and on and on. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, a, a cool way for that for him to do that. Doesn't surprise me at all for a player that I don't know that you've heard really anybody in the league say a negative thing about. Yeah. Like, uh, it's funny to see a journeyman player because I think that's a fair way to, to describe his career because he played so many places. But also have him be so respected for magical moments with every one of those stops. So, you know, every place he was, it seemed like he left a, a mark on the franchise and people love him. So from the facial hair to the chest hair, like he did it right <laughs> while he was on the field. He, he's doing it right as he walks off the field. Not surprised at all. Uh, my guess is he could be a great analyst if he wants to be one. 17 seasons, started 147 games, threw for 34,990 yards, 223 touchdowns, 169 interceptions. Nice. Seventh round pick from the Rams in 05. <laughs> and here's the list. Bengals, Bills, Titans, Texans, Jets, Bucks, Dolphins, Commanders, uh, season-ending hip injury last uh, September in the season opener for the Commanders, and now calling it quits. Hell of a career. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the memories and the entertainment, Ryan Fitzpatrick. All right, next story. Quickies. We're sticking with the NFL because I saw a post today from Desmond Clark, former Chicago Bear, who I've stayed uh, kind of in contact with over social media, went to a couple events together a couple years ago, but he posted this, and I'm just going to read it in its entirety. Today is day two of Pride Month, and I think he really showed us what love and pride looks like. He wrote, when Ashana, who was born as my daughter and formerly identified as a woman, asked me to take her to breakfast in January this year and told me that she would like to take hormones, shift to becoming a man, and would like me to refer to formerly her as him. I told him I support him in all ways. I've been reflecting on this ever since, and I think it might be useful to the overall conversation about gender. I warned Deshaun that a lot of people are going to say things. They, nor those words, define him. But more important, your own words are not your complete identity either. To become this change, and this change only, is to sell the rest of your experiences short. This is a new assessment in your life, not your core accomplishment. Identity can be ruse, a false concept. If you read enough Buddhist texts and do enough meditation, you see it as fluid. If we identify with anything, really, it's our approach to understanding who we are, not any individual label applied to it. Thoughtful is a closer description for Deshaun than either gender. We are how we assess ourselves daily, so we are more than surface identities, NFL football player, a gender, a number in a bank account, body fat percentage, a title in a company. Those are incomplete shadows of deeper reflections. So be this because it is part of you, but don't be limited here. You are both this and everything else you are, remain, and will be. So regardless of what you call yourself, what gender you identify as, what pronouns you use, my love for you cuts through all of that and has for over 19 years. My love for you also recognizes that the deepest, most trustworthy version of you is based in the thoughtfulness with which you make your decisions, not any individual decision that you make. You at the core is the same. You are the sum of your experiences, and this is one of them. And if you or the world were to define yourself as only this, you and the world are both falling short. 
And he goes on to say, stay true, stay thoughtful, Deshaun, and you will always have your assessments to fall back on. You will never be alone, not only because I will always be with you, but because you will always truly have your deepest and best self to guide you, to look up to, to change as you have, as you will continue to do in a thoughtful and loving way as you see fit. And I look up to you, Deshaun, and love you dearly and deeply and honor your choices. I mean, I would be blown away if a best-selling author wrote that, Fitz, and that is a former NFL player showing honestly what what unconditional love is yeah i read it i think three times today and unconditional love and unconditional understanding of who you are who you've been who you can be it's all in there and i kept reading and thinking no matter what journey you're going through in life there's so much power in understanding the chapters you've been through the chapters you're going through the chapters you will go through and how to be true to yourself through all of that i thought he really brought all of that together in one letter i it was it was incredibly powerful for everybody but also incredibly powerful and an important voice as we continue to have incredibly important conversations right now about pride month and what's going on for everybody that's looking for representation yeah i couldn't help think of Dwayne wade too and the example that he was one of the first to set within the sports community mm. for this sort of thing so props to desmond clark all right next story quickies nike's phil knight Dodgers Alan Slomaninsky, Slomaninsky, I should say, have made an offer to buy the Portland Trailblazers. This according to sources telling ESPN. So the Paul G. Allen Trust, which is overseeing the franchise, uh, has been engaged in discussions with that duo, and it's potential uh, that a sale could be on the horizon, Fitz. Are you uh, intrigued by potentially more than $2 billion to the Trailblazers? Yes, but I also was interested about this because I think the M- the NBA has made it apparent and we've heard a ton of leaks that the NBA is at least considering expansion. So if they don't find a way to acquire Portland, you have to wonder if we're starting to see some of the names that right. want to be part of the league as it grows, according to multiple reports, into, we think, Seattle and Las Vegas. So, you know, I, I wonder if this is also a small statement towards what's about to come down the pipeline. Yeah, if the deal doesn't go through, they say, look, we're already in these conversations. We're obviously the people to come to for Seattle. Uh, next story. Quickies. Spinning off the last one, speaking of billions, LeBron James becomes the NBA's first active player worth $1 billion per Forbes. I, of course, thought to myself, Fitz, do you think it's uh, more likely that people will start to understand how much money that is and not think that my husband is an actual billionaire and that that's just a rumor on the Internet? No, I think that means that now LeBron's the one person I know that can go to dinner with your husband. <laughs> Spade and Fitz <laughs> is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Get you set for game one next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We know what's going down. It's the NBA Finals. But this is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, getting you ready for all of the fun You can listen to every game of the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio, but fear not. If you've uh, been listening for the last couple of months, you know there's been nights we haven't had shows, etc. Don't worry, Sarah and I will be with you before all of these games. It'll just sometimes be a slightly shorter show. So like tonight, uh, pregame for Game 1 starts right after we're done at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. So Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, let's get a little bit of expertise on this from somebody that knows all of this better than we could ever imagine. P.J. Carlismo joining us, ESPN NBA analyst. You can listen to P.J. uh, and the NBA Finals on ESPN Radio. Appreciate your time. As always, I know it's busy right before this. What are you looking for in the first few minutes of this game to give you a sense of what to expect from these teams? 
Well, Jace, first of all, you got to watch your credibility there, uh, building me up this much. Uh, <laughs> we're going to start turning, turning the dial on you. Be careful. Um, I, I don't think you're going to find out something real early because I believe it or not, um, there's going to be nerves, uh, even for the Warriors who've been here before. Uh, Jack Nicholas, I heard him say it many times. Every time he's on the first tee and they announce his name and he's got to hit the ball, how nervous he was. So if Jack Nicholas is going to be nervous on the first tee, these guys are all going to be nervous tonight. This is the NBA Finals, and it's a big deal. I don't care how many times you've been here. So I think it's good. I'll just watch to see who handles that better the first couple minutes. And I think by the end of the first quarter, we'll see, because pace is going to be a big story. Like if the, the Warriors would love to go up and down uh, a lot more, a lot more quickly than the Celtics would do. Uh, but I think it's going to take us a while. It, the finals are always different to me, uh, even in this year of COVID and so many guys not playing different games during the year. Like it's a little bit of a trap this year to put too much stock in what happens in the regular season. But having said that, these teams only played twice, and the rosters weren't even close to the rosters that we're going to look at tonight. And, you know, the first three rounds of the playoffs, you're playing somebody you probably played four times. You're playing somebody that you may have been playing for years. And, you know, there's a lot of knowledge there. You get to the finals, you don't know this other team as well. So I think it's going to be a feeling-out process, and I think it's going to take us a couple games. I think literally, but, you know, hopefully – by the time we get to Boston, we'll have some insight to how the series is going to go. But I really think it will take that long um, to get a grip on how it's going to be played, what adjustments uh, the coaches are going to make, and, and what we can look for in the subsequent games. One of the biggest things, of course, PJ and PJ Carlissimo with us here on Spain and Fitz, is defensive matchups. What sh- uh, which of the, those are you looking at closest, whether it's the Warriors keying in on Tatum or, or how they plan on stopping Steph? I, I think both, Sarah. I, I'm really anxious to see because they, they'll both, both Ime Yudoka and Steve Kerr, I think will move their guys around. And, and that their guys, Marcus Smart, would be the main one for uh, the Celtics and uh, Andrew Wiggins and, and I think to an extent uh, Draymond Green. So it's going to be interesting to see you know, who they put on whom and uh, if the other team starts running a lot of pick and rolls or a lot of pin downs, whatever it is, whether they change the coverage or whether they change the matchup. So I think, again, same thing. Uh, there's no question uh, you, you got to control Steph Curry in some way, shape, or form, and there's no question you want to try and control uh, Jason Tatum in the same way. Uh, what that means is make them work. They're going to get their points. You know, I'm reading all the quotes about uh, how Steph – has not shot a good percentage against Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart's going to take him out of the series. I will be completely astounded if that happens. Uh, he's going to get his points. I expect him to play very well. I do expect Marcus Smart to make him work, but I, I do not see uh, anybody taking Jason Tatum or Steph Curry out of this or really impeding them. PJ, Steve Kerr just said that Gary Payton, the second Porter Jr., and Iguodala are all available tonight to play. How big a factor will that be for you? Uh, big factor with Otto Porter because he's been a rotation player and he played very well. And, you know, when I was on with you guys before, we were doing the Western Conference. Otto Porter fits very much into their game plan. Andre Iguodala has been out for so long. I don't know what to expect. 
from him. I don't know if Steve does. Uh, you know, Otto Porter being here and playing, and he was the closest one to being coming back from his injury. I'm not going to minimize it, but compared to what Peyton was dealing with and Andre Iguodala has been dealing with, um, I, I think you could see uh, GP in some defensive situations late in the game. Maybe Steve will even give him, you know, if he can get him in and give them some time to get their feet wet and get him back, uh, you know, more so for uh, Iggy or for uh, Gary Payton. But depending on how the game's going, you know, sometimes it's hard to go that deep into the lineup. Uh, both of these coaches are not afraid to play people off the bench, uh, Steve in particular. But uh, I think Otto Porter will know right away. He, he should be the first or second sub into the game. If Otto Porter's not in right away, then he's not 100%. Uh, Iguodala, I just do not know what to expect from him. Uh, and Peyton, I could certainly see in some late-game defensive situations, and I could see Steve trying to get him some minutes, just get him a little run because he's been out for a while himself. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to P.J. Carlesimo. He's on the call along with Mark Kestesher and Doris Burke with Monica McNutt on the sidelines for us here. ESPN radio coverage starts right when we're done at 8 p.m. Eastern. Game one. P.J., this is a, uh, a therapy session here that I want you to dig into. Tell me about the guts, the guts and the minds of the Celtics. We saw a couple swoons in their series with the Heat. We've seen back-to-back -back series that went to seven, and they nearly gave it away down the stretch in that last game. How do you see that factoring into this series? Uh, tremendous resiliency. I don't see either team getting away from the other one. Uh, Golden State has some stat. I should know it off the top of my head, and I don't, but they've had more comeback wins, and mm. you know they've been down big deficits, and they come back and find a way to win. Um, the Celtics are like a roller coaster. They just can't seem to stand prosperity um, so I mean up or down I, regardless of what the score is and regardless of how late it's going to be I would not count out either team both these teams have shown the ability to come from behind um, for Boston really significant you know the theme for Golden State was more get healthy which they finally got at, at the very end of the regular season and then get back to the finals for this the core group um, for Boston it was get by the Eastern Conference Finals which has been such a challenge for them you know primarily because of LeBron um, and so now for this you know mainly young group um, to, to get to that next level because reputations are based on what you do in mm -hmm. April May and especially in June so for uh, for Jason and Jalen in particular and I, I put Marcus in the group uh, also, um, this is a chance for them to go to another level uh, as, as good as they are and as established as they are as NBA players and the awards they've all won. Uh, this is a whole other level when it gets to the finals. I, I, I respect Boston a lot, but I think Golden State, sometimes people think of the Splash Brothers and they think they're pretty and they run up and down the floor and score a lot of points. They're a good defensive team. In fact, they're a very good defensive team. And they're a tough group also. So I, I think that factor will pretty much cancel. I don't see one team dominating the other team in terms of grit or competitiveness or physicality if it comes down to that. Well, I know you'll dominate perfection on the broadcast. PJ, we appreciate you hanging out with us as always, my friend. Have a great call. Thank you, Jay. Sarah, great being with you. Thanks, PJ. ESPN Radio, uh, the NBA Finals are on ESPN Radio. Tune in. Game one tonight, the Warriors host the Celtics, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. How have the Warriors been able to sustain the level of success they've experienced since 2015? We'll ask our next guest that and more coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. 
They will be playing basketball very soon. We've got pregame for NBA Finals Game 1 right here at 8 Eastern when we're done here on ESPN Radio. And you can listen to every game of the NBA Finals here as well. It's Spain and Fitz, little pregame to the pregame on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, joining us now, ESPN NBA reporter, reporting for two, writing amazing stories <laughs> right up until the moment she leaves to have her second child. It's Ramona Shelburne. Ramona, <laughs> amazing reporting on the Warriors, and I think Thank you. You're, you touched a lot on something that Fitz and I just talked about a couple nights ago. We were trying to think about a team that had essentially the same core and was able to be great, disappear and come back and reach the highest level again. And obviously the nineties bulls with Jordan leaving for other reasons, but this is such a rare thing to see. And the way they got there was also very rare. I know the story is very long and you're very loquacious, but if you can summarize for us (laughs) just what made uh, what the Warriors did so special. Well, you know, it started really when Kevin Durant left in 2019 and that was kind of like the fall of Rome, right? Like everybody, everybody got hurt in that series. Durant tore his Achilles, Clay Thompson tore his knee ligaments. You know, it looked like the whole team was sort of falling apart. And, it, it, you know, they, they were exhausted. And it kind of looked like, okay, that was a nice little dynasty they had and they're going to go away. But, you know, the, the Warriors decide Steph Curry's still in his prime. Draymond Green's still in his prime. Clay's in his prime. He's got to come back from this knee injury. Let's see if we can get something for Durant. We, we already think he's leaving. I mean, it's been obvious he's leaving all year. And they go to Bob Myers, who's the general manager, goes to Kevin Durant and his manager, Rich Kleinman, his business manager. And he just, you know, when they, he finally says, I'm going to Brooklyn, he goes, would you consider doing a sign and trade? Now, Sarah, they used to incentivize players to do that. You could get an extra year. You could get an extra bit of money to do a sign and trade. But when LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh did the decision in 2010, all the owners said, we can't incentivize signing trades now. That's not, we don't want free agents leaving. So they closed that loophole. So there's absolutely no reason for Kevin Durant to help the Warriors out, mm-hmm. except to just be nice, like, <laughs> except to, you know, be magnanimous or like a do a solo on the way out. I mean, that's basically what they're asking. And he actually did it. <laughs> and it was kind of, it was kind of like a brazen ask to even, you know, like the guy's out the door. He can just sign into cap space. But the Warriors end up throwing in a future first-round pick, which is heavily protected, has not even conveyed, and is now a 2025 second-round pick. That's all the Nets got for their trouble. And the Warriors get D'Angelo Russell, the opportunity to get D'Angelo Russell, who they maybe was going to fit on their team but was also just more of an asset. And they said, okay, if he works out, great. If he doesn't, we'll, we'll get something for him. But it's like, I mean, you're a poker player, right? They they just needed some more chips. They needed some more assets. They needed something to play with. And it's it's an amazing return because that one trade has turned into Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga. But what blows my mind, though, when you talk about that, Ramona, (laughs) is we don't really give KD a lot of credit for the way he left. And the players at times have seemed to have, like he and Draymond have their animosity. Like, Within the building, do, do you feel like do you, do you have a sense of if the players understand that move and how much impact that had to where they are now? Yeah, I think people understand it because it was um, like he didn't have to do it, and also the Warriors have gone out of their way to make sure to make KD feel like he's still a part of what they did before. Like if you go to Chase Center and they, uh, you know, before they opened up, they gave all of us tours. They would take the media tours, right? 
and they'd walk you by this place, and they're like, and this is the part where this is the Kevin Durant section. And they have this whole, you know, all these photos of him and all the awards he won, all the things he did while he was with the Warriors. And he actually has not played a game at Chase Center since he left because hmm. he's been hurt. And then another one of them was a, was a COVID game or something, I think, that canceled. Um, and he, but when he comes back, like, they're going to go out of their way to honor him. This isn't going to be Oklahoma City where people are showing up with, like, live snakes and cupcakes and, like, he's, he's persona non grata. Like, they really have tried to be cool about it. And, and I know this, is, this sounds funny because it's, it's a small thing, but, like, he was really close with Bob Myers. Kevin Durant and Bob Myers were, like, genuinely friends. And one of the parts of the story, Bob, Bob's nine-year-old daughter says to him, he goes, you know, why did Kevin leave? And he goes, well, I think he just wanted to go someplace else. She goes, are you guys still going to be friends? which is something a nine-year-old would ask, right? <laughs> <laughs> so cute. And, and Bob was like, yeah, we're still going to be friends. Like, if you can't be friends just because somebody wants to go work someplace else, you weren't really very close in the first place, right? And it was just such a sweet little moment, but it's kind of indicative to me of that Warriors culture and how they are. They just relationship people. They're just yeah. really good at building relationships, and nothing's ever, ever, you know, there's business, and then there's, the personal relationships, and I think it's a hallmark of, of what they've built there. It's Ramona Shelburne. You can follow her at Ramona Shelburne or ESPN NBA reporter ahead of game one of the NBA finals. She wrote a great piece about the, the journey of this particular core of the Warriors, six finals in eight seasons. I loved hearing Kerr, instead of saying what could have been without the injuries that made them a very expensive bad team that was out uh-huh. of the postseason for two years, instead of saying we could have had eight straight, he said that's the opportunity that we had to reapproach everything we're doing now with fresh eyes instead of mm-hmm. tired ones to appreciate that we're here again. And you do need to have a front office that's willing to have the most expensive team in league history. Bobby Marks retweeted your yeah. story, 176 million in salary, $170 million tax penalty <laughs> for players in the top 50 in salary. And to say Ooh. we're okay with literally being bad and being out of it and believing that we will come back and make it to the top. And that feels like probably some of that perspective of Kerr is shared by them too. Yeah. I mean, I think the Warriors owners, like they're, you know, that whole light years ahead quote that Joe Lacob gave to the New York times a few years ago, that's kind of a definitive type quote for him, but it kind of is like, to be honest, like they built Chase Center, Sarah, and this is like, you might as well, I mean, it's Chase Center. It's named after a bank. It's basically an ATM. I mean, they make so much money <laughs> just hosting games at Chase Center because of the or hosting wine cellars and all, or hosting suites yes. that you can stay and throw parties in when there aren't even games there on that particular yes. evening. I've I've taken the tour. It's not real life. <laughs> You've taken it, right? Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, this this place is like every rich Silicon Valley, San Francisco company has a suite there that they pay g- gazillions of dollars for, and it's not even totally about basketball. <laughs> And they built that with private financing. So they built it all on their own because there's no way you can get a stadium built in California if you don't pay for it yourself, okay? And they, and it's just basically printing money. And they, I mean, last year they lost a lot of money because of, of COVID, right? I think they lost $200 million, okay? But in terms of revenue generation, they are by far the biggest revenue generator in the league. And this year, now that they have the finals, I think they're, I think they're going to break even in terms of, how much money they generate compared to money that they have to pay out in salary and luxury taxes, which is ridiculous when you consider how much money their roster costs them and luxury tax they pay. 
And so they don't they don't really care about the money because they, it pays for itself with the with the Chase Center. But you know what? There are a lot of teams, Ramona, that make money hand over fist and they still don't put yeah. it back into their product. Um, That's right. And so uh, there is a novelty to what they've done. Uh, really quickly, how special is it that Clay Thompson um, is back in this position, oh. an Achilles, an ACL, and being here again and playing at the level he's playing? It, it's it's really incredible. And, I've you know, I've stayed pretty close to that story because I, I do radio out here in L.A. with his dad, Michael, and I know some of the uh, – I can just call him Michael, right? It's Michael Thompson from the, yes, yes, from the Lakers. Aware, yes. Showtime, right? but like, <laughs> yeah. He's Clay's dad, okay? Um, and, you know, I just know how hard that was when he had, especially the second one. The first one was pretty devastating, but the second one was just, like, soul-crushing. And, you know, I know how hard it was to just be away. Like, one of the things there, like, he told me, because, you know, remember when, when Steph broke the all-time three-point record? And mm-hmm. Clay wanted to be there. And they had, like, jerseys of everyone he'd played with and, you know, I think Steph got all, you know, the, the, the main guys, some, a gift, you know, Andre and Draymond and Clay. And, like, Clay couldn't be there. Yeah. And he was, like, in Santa Cruz with the G League team trying to come back. And that, like, I heard, you know, somebody who was with him that day told me that was really hard. Because it's just hard to be away from your guy. Like, it's hard right. to be away from the game that long. And, you know, he, I think he always thought he would come back. But two whole years away from the game, that that's just pretty soul-crushing. And especially for a guy who loves basketball as much as Clay does. I, I'm just, I'm happy for him, man. That's what we, that's what we're all in this for, right? These stories like that. Yeah. And it makes a team that maybe some people would find exhausting for their success of late with that break, with the injuries and adversity, maybe a little bit more likable. Although I'm not going to speak for everyone. I learned the other night that not everyone finds them as lovable. <laughs> as us. Hey, Ramona, thanks so much for the insight. Enjoy the game thanks, and great stop, uh, job with the story. I will. Yeah. Thanks, Ramona. Ramona Shelburne, go read the story. Really fascinating stuff. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Your small business keeps you on the go. Progressive Commercial Insurance keeps your policy within reach with our easy-to-use mobile app. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. I find them likable. I find their story interesting, and it is fascinating to see a team come back after that break with a renewed hunger. You heard Steph last year when they lost. uh, You you don't want to see us next year, and that has proved true so far. Yeah, well, and and I think that's going to be as much as people want to hate on it. I think by the time this series is over, America will be in love with Golden State, like it or not. Maybe not Boston. Maybe no. not the good people. Of the Boston. rest, the rest of uh, the new kids on the block won't like that's them, but right. everybody else will. I'll be back tomorrow. Fitz will not be because it's his birthday Woo! tomorrow. Let's go. He gonna be drunk somewhere. No, Hopefully, so much alcohol.